Paleo Naturalists. I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And welcome back to your favorite true crime podcast, Unnatural. Yeah, we had an unnaturally longer break than expected due to because me getting coronavirus. COVID. This is the third COVID issue we've had since we started doing this podcast. So hopefully. I think it is because I had it one time. And I had it one time. And now I have it again. Or I, I had it again. I'm fine now. I think. I hope. Moving on. <laughs> uh, it's my week. What are we talking about today? Well, today it's uh, a disappearance. And every once in a while, there's a case that leaves you so confused, so bewildered that it stays with you for hours, days, even weeks on end. On face value, the disappearance of a 21-year-old student 19 years ago doesn't exactly stand out from any other missing person's case. After all, thousands of men, women, and children go missing each and every year in the U.S., and many are sadly barely an afterthought in the days that follow their vanishing. Time begins to work against them. Days turn into months, months into years. People in their community begin to move on with their lives. And the once fervent hope of finding the truth slowly begins to fade. Until eventually, it becomes one of those cases that when you hear about it, you can't believe that it's been so long. I'm sure that's happened to you before with a local case or something like that. You're like, wow. Has it been 20 years, you know? Oh, for sure. Well, this isn't one of those cases. Although it's been nearly 20 years since Maura Murray seemingly vanished into thin air, for those that were closest to her, the fight to find the truth continues. What really happened on that cold February day in New Hampshire back in 2004? And why does this case still resonate with so many people to this very day? Today, we're going to go down the rabbit hole and investigate the bizarre disappearance of Maura Murray. This was really one of the first cases that broke the internet when it took place. There were websites devoted to discussing the latest developments and theories on Mora's disappearance. Search parties were organized online and an immense amount of pressure was put on local authorities in and around the area that Mora was last seen to find something, anything that could help answer the questions that have plagued the community for nearly 20 years now. How and why did Mora go missing? And why hasn't she ever been found? Well, one of my sources for this case is the website moramurraymissing.org, which is still being updated today, mainly by her sister, Julie, I believe. And it gives a glimpse into who Mora was and what her life was like leading up to her disappearance. So 
We're going to be using some of that and some other sources here as well. Mora was born on May 4th, 1982 in Brockton, Massachusetts. And she was the youngest daughter of Fred, Fred Murray, who was a medical technician, and Laura Murray, who was a nurse. She grew up in a small town along the south shore of Massachusetts called Hanson. It was kind of a working class neighborhood and her family was that way as well. She had an older brother named Fred Jr., two older sisters named Kathleen and Julie, and a younger brother named Curtis. So big family. Big family. Sounds like Mora had a lot of older sibling guidance growing up. Unfortunately, the family didn't stay intact for too long, as Mora's mom and dad divorced when she was just six years old. Mm-hmm. But this didn't seem to affect Mora too much, or at least on the outside, as she would go on to be an excellent student. She was a National Honor Society member. Good for her. And she was also a multi-sport athlete who shined in nearly every sport, it sounds like, but perhaps she was best at basketball as she was on the amateur team that traveled across the Northeast United States to compete with other good teams. Oh, nice. Yeah. And she was also very active in her local area. And the Maura Murray website describes her as having a kind heart, signature dimples, and a beautiful smile. She was also described as extremely competitive. In middle school and high school, she was one of the top long-distance runners in the state of Massachusetts. Couldn't be me. Me neither. I mean, (laughs) I might be able to run like across the street. (laughs) I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, But Then I'm out. She even broke more than a few longstanding school records, it sounds like, too. She was selected as a Boston Globe All-Scholastic in cross-country and even qualified for the U.S. National Scholastic Outdoor Championships in the two-mile as a sophomore in 1998, finishing 33rd in the entire United States. So Good for her. That's awesome. She was pretty passionate about running, at least in her teenage years, it sounds like. Mora ended up graduating at the very top of her class at Whitman Hanson Regional High School. And she basically had her pick of what kind of college she wanted to go to. Obviously, there in the, the Northeast, some of the best universities in the entire country are there. When you think of Princeton and Yale and Harvard and her decision was made easier, though, when she was awarded a congressional nomination from the late Senator Edward Kennedy, JFK's little brother. And the nomination led her to join her sister, Julie, at the most prestigious and revered military academy in the country, West Point. Once she was there, Mora excelled in the meticulous military and academic program that West Point has and also continued to run cross country and on the track team as well. No ambulating for her. No, 
Not at just all. Just straight running. Right. I feel like she would be one of those people that like you find her in the supermarket and it's like that like supermarket dash. Like she just like runs up and just like grabs stuff. Like <laughs> And maybe she actually has her like jogging attire on while she's doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I see people like that at the uh, grocery store. Definitely not me, but I definitely see them. I'm an ambulator. (laughs) Me too. Just kind of wandering. Yeah. Going into her second year, things started to unravel a bit though. And there are a few conflicting reports as to what may have happened. According to the Find Mora website, in her second year... She decided that the military was not for her, and she transferred to the University of Massachusetts in Amherst, where she decided to pursue a career in nursing. I did find another report from a few sources that she was caught stealing makeup at a local campus store and was actually asked to leave West Point. Now. There's nothing that confirms this. Uh, It doesn't appear to be substantiated or anything. Um, So we're just taking it at face value here. Uh, It does seem a little excessive to be completely kicked out for stealing, especially if you were doing so well there. However, this is West Point. So I get it. You know, it's military. So like I said, she transfers to UMass and I read in a number of sources, including an arrest record, that this is where she started to run into some issues with credit cards. According to the arrest records, she used stolen credit card numbers to make purchases of things like food, going out to restaurants, other stores. During an interview with police, Mora admitted that she would find the credit card numbers on receipts that had been thrown away and then use them to buy a number of things. Oh. Now. So they used to have just like your full number on the receipts then? Yeah. Well, maybe they're in Massachusetts. I don't remember a time a time where they did, but maybe there were so many issues that that's why they had to put new policies into place. Yeah. Sorry, I had to Google this because I had to know. Hmm. Um, So, full credit card numbers did appear on receipts until the Fair and Accurate Credit Transaction Act of 2003 was put into place, which... Okay. She disappeared in 2004, but I think she might have been having some credit card issues in 2003, and it probably Mm -hmm. didn't start going through until 2004, 2005. So, that makes sense. Yeah. Weird. Wild. Good good sleuthing there. Yeah, you deserve a drink. (laughs) So now she wasn't sent to jail for this, only probation, where the charges would ultimately be dismissed once the probation was completed, it sounds like. In the days leading up to her disappearance, Mora's behavior allegedly became erratic. According To a source, it was rumored that she was involved in a hit and run in which one of her classmates was injured just three days before she went missing. It doesn't really involve her disappearance, but it certainly is something worth noting. 
later that same night while she was at work, Mora became just super distressed. So much so that uh, her supervisor at the time noticed something was up and asked her what was wrong when she replied, quote, my sister. So when she said my sister, the supervisor told her, hey, take the rest of the night off, even helped her get back to her dorm room. However, it was later confirmed by her sisters that there was nothing wrong with them that night. So we're starting to see a bit of a pattern here. Yeah. And according to sources, the very next day, Maura's father, Fred Murray, visited his daughter at UMass. It was said that he actually stopped at up to eight ATMs along the way and withdrew a total of $4,000 in cash. Reportedly, his plan was to buy Mora a new car with this money, but unfortunately and sadly, that never came to pass. That evening, Mora ended up borrowing her dad's car, went to a party on campus. Local media reported that she actually crashed the car that night when she was when she inadvertently ran it into a guardrail. Oh my gosh. Causing about $8,000 in damages to the vehicle, but for whatever reason, she wasn't charged or even ticketed in this incident. In hindsight, you almost wish that she would have been because maybe all of this wouldn't have happened, but late that night or early the next morning, Mora made a number of internet searches as well as phone calls that may appear to be relevant in her upcoming disappearance the following day. Mm -hmm. Remember MapQuest? Oh, yeah. For our younger listeners, it was all the rage before Google and Apple Maps. You you didn't have that. You didn't have that on your phone. So you had to go on the family computer Mm-hmm. Type in the two addresses, print like 17 print pages out. Depending, yeah, like depending on how far you were going. But yeah, you had to print it. And then hopefully you had a passenger mm-hmm. with you that was competent and would. Otherwise, you know, you'd have to like read the map quest while you were driving. Yeah. And that's not safe. Not safe. So, one source reports that Mora searched for driving directions on MapQuest to the Berkshires of Western Massachusetts and Burlington, Vermont. The Berkshires are kind of a rural, semi-mountainous region that makes an ideal place for a getaway. Mm -hmm. Phone records also indicate that she made a call to the ownership of a resort and condo complex in rural Vermont, possibly to ask about reservations. Now, for what it's worth, authorities were never never able to confirm if the reservations were actually made. Okay. On the morning of February 9th, 2004, Mora submitted her nursing homework online, and she also emailed her professors, notifying them that 
there had been a death in the family and that she would not be on campus for at least the next week. Was there a death? There was no death in the family. Okay. She also made a call to the owner of a condo in Bartlett, New Hampshire, which according to her family was a place of special significance to her. And she spent a lot of time there in the past. So she packed her bags, including all the toiletries you might expect someone to take with them on an extended trip. She took her makeup, her workout gear, school books, and even several days worth of clothing. Around 3.15 the next afternoon, Mora stopped at an off-campus ATM. She withdrew $280, which was basically everything that she had left in her account. Mm -hmm. Then she stopped at a liquor store, purchased about $40 worth of assorted alcoholic beverages. According to the authorities, she then left the Amherst area around 4.30 in the afternoon, and she drove her 1996 Saturn toward New Hampshire. So she's going north. She didn't tell anybody what her plans were or why she was randomly going to New Hampshire on a Monday afternoon. Are you intrigued by the dark side of things like murder, kidnapping, and sex cults? What about when the criminal is your favorite musician or actor or director or writer? Hollywood might look like all glitz and glamour until you take a closer look. But I'll tell you one thing, that kind of point of view can make you more vulnerable. From Roman Polanski to Mackenzie Phillips to Judith Barcy to Kurt Cobain, Summer predators and summer prey. I'm Dee Dee West, and I just might ruin your childhood. Follow my podcast, Broken Limelight, where I cover celebrity true crime stories. For more information, visit brokenlimelight.com. Again, that's Broken Limelight. Follow it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. that evening, a woman by the name of Faith Westman, who lived in Haverhill, New Hampshire, called the police and let them know that there had been an accident. It had occurred right near her home, and she could see the car was stuck in a ditch. Just a few moments after that, a bus driver named Butch Atwood drove by and spoke to Mora. He offered to help her and asked if she needed him to call the police. Mora said no to both offers and let him know that she had already called AAA. Had she called AAA though? There was no call to AAA and Butch knew that because 
At the time, there was no cell phone coverage in, a, in that area. It was a pretty rural area, and back in the mid-2000s, cell phone coverage hadn't gotten that far. So Butch is a, a little sus, I would say, of what's going on. Yeah, well, like, why? I mean, okay, it's like, I get it. A strange man pulls up and is like, hey, could I help you? Do you need a ride? You might want to say no. Yeah. But, like... What was her plan then? You know, there was alcohol in the car and it had spilled all over. Maybe she allegedly had been drinking. She might have been nervous and worried and who knows. It's hard to put yourself inside her head, but that might have been her rationale at the time. But Butch knew something was up, so he drove to his home, which was only about 100 yards away, parked the bus, went inside, called the police. Uh, His call to 911 was around 7.42 p.m. And the police asked him, hey, does she look like she's injured? He said, no, she just looks like she's shaken up. He did tell them that he noticed that the airbags in her car had deployed but he didn't see any blood or anything like that. Yeah. The first police officer arrived at the scene at 7.46 p.m., so four minutes after Butch had made that phone call. But Oh, that's quick. By that time, Mora was already gone. Wow. Here's what the officer, here's what the officer noted at the scene. First, the car had been locked. Second, okay. there was a box of red wine behind the driver's seat, as well as stains on the ceiling and the door. And a Coke bottle looked like it had some sort of red liquid in it. Maybe it was the wine. Not sure. Another thing that the officer noted was that there appeared to be a rag stuffed in Mora's tailpipe, which... Does seem a little odd, but later mm-hmm. it was learned that this was something that Fred Murray had advised Mora to do in order to avoid being ticketed by police for excessive smoke coming out of the tailpipe. So maybe that's why it was there. Okay. Still a little weird. Still a little strange. The officer asked the bus driver for some help trying to find Mora, and he asked him to drive west of the incident to search on some of the back roads in a place called the French Pond area. A state trooper also responded to the scene and also searched some of the roads west of the incident. Um, Even the fire and the EMS were also responding to the scene. Uh, The EMS wasn't there for very long. It sounds like they were uh, dismissed pretty quickly, perhaps because there was nobody on scene to treat, I'm guessing. Um, Yeah. The uh, firefighters, there were eight of them there. They briefly searched the area before uh, going back west and returning to their fire station. Uh, As far as anybody is aware, nobody searched the east part of the scene, though. Okay. Do we know why? Initially, I don't know why. I don't know if there was um, maybe something geographically that they didn't think she could get past, or maybe it seemed obvious that if she were to, you know, run, it would be west. I'm not sure, but 
The bus. Well, if it's, it's February, right? Yeah, it's February so, like, in New Hampshire. There's probably snow. Yeah, and it's cold. I mean, did they see? Do we know? Did they see any like footprints or like tire tracks leading somewhere? We'll get we'll get into this a little bit later. Um, okay. But they did not see footprints. I'll just say that. Okay, so she didn't like walk away. Well, if she did, maybe there wasn't enough snow on the ground for somebody to see the footprints. I'm not sure. But the bus driver's brief interaction with Mora, sadly, was the last known sighting anybody has ever had with her. Since then, there has basically been no trace of her and there was never any activity on her cell phone or her bank accounts as well. That's insane. The last reported use of her cell phone was at 4.37 p.m. Uh, when she called her own voicemail. The following morning, however, around 4.40 a.m., Mora's boyfriend, Bill, missed a call on his cell phone while he was going through airport security. The caller left a very short voicemail that sounded like labored breathing. At least that's what I've heard from people that I, that heard the voicemail. Or maybe he said it was a muffled sob. Mm. Bill believed that it could have been Mora. That's creepy. There was also a voicemail that was left on Fred Murray's home answering machine at 3.20 p.m. That was the next day. The voicemail stated that Mora's car had been found and abandoned. So it took them a while to call Mora's family. Fred was working out of state. He didn't get the call at the time. At 5 p.m., her older sister contacted her father and let him know about the situation. He then contacted the Haverhill Police Department. So everybody is starting to find out. It takes almost a day for the family to find out, but she still hasn't been found. It makes me have have you heard of the term Occam's razor? Of course. Essentially, it means the simplest explanation of a problem is the most likely. Mm-hmm. In Mora's case, the simplest explanation is probably that after seeing the bus driver, she panicked, ran into the wilderness, and sadly died of exposure. Why wasn't she found? Well, we've covered that in other cases, actually, where people vanish into the woods and are never found. So many things are left to chance and can go wrong when you're canvassing an area looking for a missing person not searching an entire area, walking right past a key piece of evidence, inclement weather. A lot of things can go wrong in a big search like that. Right. And besides, Mora was an excellent long-distance runner and probably could have gotten a lot further than the search party canvassed entirely. Right. So, if that's the most likely explanation... What's the right one? Well, her family believes something more sinister happened. For years, Mora's family has believed that she was abducted. In fact, the prevailing theory is that Mora was taken by either a serial killer or an opportunistic predator. Yeah. Well, we know that happens quite often as well. 
Yeah. That's why we're here. Exactly. It happens so much so that we do a podcast about it. But that's not the only theory. In the past 19 years, the internet is full of countless theories, both credible and unlikely that continue to be debated, including a strange YouTube video that was uploaded back in 2012 that some people say holds the clues to her disappearance or possible abduction. And we're going to get into that video and all of those theories next week. <laughs> you okay? Fucking cliffhangers, man. Oh, that's what you're... Okay, I, th- I thought you turned into some sort of beast for a moment there. Well, it is sure spooky what? season, so you never know. <laughs> that's true. So, yeah, that's all I got for now. We'll, we'll discuss the uh, rest of the Maura Murray disappearance and theories and all the crazy randomness that has been brought forth in the, next, uh, in the last 19 years in the next episode. All right. Sounds good. And if you guys have any thoughts or theories before we dive into that on the podcast, let's talk about it on our social media pages. You can do so on Instagram at Unnatural the Podcast. We have a Facebook page, Unnatural, a true crime podcast. You can send us a Gmail, unnaturalthepodcast at gmail.com. And as always, be sure to rate, subscribe, follow, and share us with your friends. Yeah. It's just a week. You can wait a week. I am impatient. <laughs> and like I said, it is spooky season, so be sure to make good choices. And don't get got. Bye. Keep it in your pants. We got to talk murder. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't include that in here somewhere, it depends on what your kinks are, I guess. We're not kink shaming. (laughs) Today, unless you're one of those people that sends like love letters to murderers and serial killers, that some kinks deserve to be shamed. Oh, yeah, for sure. I will fucking just willingly kink shame some things man kink shaming is my kink right me too so kind of getting hot and bothered now all right let's go okay (laughs) are my shoulders moving weird it's like a wave or something i feel like we should record these like video just to have for us with like the weird shit that we Maybe. do, yeah. And just like, I don't know if I want anybody else to see it. <laughs> How many trees do you think you killed printing those map quest directions out? <laughs> Too many. Actually, no, because I went, I went to a lot of the same places, so mm-hmm. I just you, saved them. You printed it once and then just kept it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember the last time I ever had to do that. And then, like, my friend was like, dude, just get it on your phone. I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
Anyway, um, okay. Yeah, I remember like with my first smartphone, which mm-hmm. was a Blackberry. No, that's a lie. Um, I had sidekicks, but when I got my Blackberry, that was, I think that was like the first phone that I had that had like a GPS right. app. Yeah. But you had to pay for it. God, that's weird. Yeah. And I remember telling my mom, like, it's so much easier than like printing out the directions. And it's only like, I don't know, however much it, a month it was, like right. $5 a month or something. So. That's crazy. Yeah, my mom added like that plan to the phone bill. Wow. Whatever. And then Old I had tech GPS alert. on my phone. Old tech yeah. alert. A fucking Blackberry? Do, even <laughs> do people still they, use Blackberry? They tried to bring them back. They tried to bring them Ugh. back and it, it crashed and burned. Okay. Well, I thought they tried to bring the sidekick back too, but like they didn't Maybe. even have a swivel screen on it. Like you can't have a sidekick right. without a swivel Come screen. Come on, what yeah. Are doing? Or the flip phones, remember those? They tried oh, to bring yeah, those like back. Those That's, phones are so weird. It's not going to work. No. It's They're just trying to appeal to like people in their 30s and Nostalgia. 40s. Nostalgia. everything that gets cut out um oh. right now i am archiving it and one day i will sell it, send it to your mom please don't send it to my mother 